welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of May 2014, entitled The Relationship of Law and Sin, and the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she is married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now, we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law for I, I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, soul under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I should do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. If I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, we thank you again this morning for your precious word that we have before us. Now, Lord, as we take this time to look into your word this morning, we are totally dependent upon you. Father, we would pray, Lord, that you would meet with us today in the power of your spirit. You know every heart that is here. I pray, Lord, that 
you would help our minds not to be wavering but that we would truly be attentive to what you have for us and that you would speak to our hearts and Lord that we would receive that which you have for us Lord, may everything that's said and everything that's done be according to your perfect will for your utmost glory for in Christ's name we pray Amen Amen well in recent weeks and we said of course that we really are just skimming the surface of some things here, but they're very important. Some of you would know that, I mean, it's, it's not a new thing, but there is often some great misunderstandings, a lack of understanding when it comes to the law and grace. And we began by looking into Romans chapter 5, and we just briefly looked there at the limitations of grace. You see, grace is so big, and it's so mighty, and it's so powerful, it's so beyond our grasp even, and yet there are limitations to God's grace. Grace cannot save an unrepentant sinner. Repentance is what God requires of us. We can't save ourselves but we've got to be willing to turn to Him for the help, turn from that sin, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace cannot save an unrepentant sinner. Grace cannot restore an unrepentant saint. Grace cannot condone any form of sin whatsoever. Oh, we can try to rationalize it away. We can come up with some wonderful excuses as to why we did that or why we couldn't help not doing it and all these things but we must understand God's grace is big and this is part of what we saw well you know just because when sin's bigger grace is bigger does that mean that we ought to just sin more so that grace can be bigger God forbid that we should even think such a thing grace cannot save an unrepentant sinner cannot restore an unrepentant saint cannot condone any form of sin grace cannot coexist with the law you can't have it both ways if you are under the law under the penalty of the law under the condemnation of the law then you're not under grace but praise God once you're under God's grace you're no longer under that condemnation they cannot coexist together it is an impossibility grace cannot exist where pride remains. You see, as long as we think that we can do it ourselves, as long as we think that we're good enough, we can never realize that God's grace is a gift that's given to us not because we deserve it. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us that which we could never earn, that we could never attain in ourselves. And we must come to recognize that before God's grace can take its place in our lives. Keep these in mind. And of course then we looked into Romans chapter 6 and we talked about really a relationship there between sin's dominion, sin's authority, sin's power over a life, over an individual versus grace's freedom. Sin has control over a life. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and only through God's grace, we can be set free from that dominion. That dominion was given over to sin in the Garden of Eden. First, God gave the dominion to Adam. But Adam disobeyed. With that sin came death. So we looked at that relationship. Sin's dominion on a life versus the freedom that is ours, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last two sermons we looked at this other relationship that we found in chapter 6, the relationship between who? The believer and what? And God's law. The relationship. And we, we looked at that actually in chapter 7, these first seven verses that we looked at, and we looked at that in two parts. What is the relationship between the believer, the child of God, and God's law? But I want us to look at two other things in this chapter, and I'm going to do it this way. 
you know, I know you get enough of me, but I get you for such a small amount of the week. And we got a lot of things coming up. And I've got to do it this way. We're going to look at part of this chapter this morning and part of it this evening. Next week, I've already told you, Brother T.J. Gritz will be preaching for us in the morning. So I won't have you then. The next Sunday will be the last Sunday before our missions conference when we'll be preparing for that. And then we'll have our missions conference the following Sunday. And I don't want to wait a month to come back and finish this. It's important. And I don't ask you this often. I mean, I wish that you were here every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I just love you so much and love to see your faces and have your presence. But I want to ask you especially, you know, if God speaks to you in any way this morning, be back here this evening. Be back here this evening to hear the, the rest of this because we're going to look at two things. First of all, as we look at the passage this morning, we're going to be looking at another relationship. We looked at the relationship between the law and the believer last week. I want us to look at the relationship between the law and sin. Remember, all these things tied together. It was a relationship between sin's dominion and God's grace. Well, what about this relationship between God's law and sin? And then if we, God willing, this evening, I hope I get far enough this morning. I'm going to try to preach real fast and talk real fast and listen real fast. God willing, this evening we'll be looking at this burning battle within. Now, most of you know, we took some years back, we went through the book of Romans verse by verse just to get through the first eight chapters. I don't remember, it took us a couple of years or something. We're doing this just in a matter of weeks because it's just things we need to be reminded of. It's things that we need to be conscious of because the devil will use these things against us to take away our joy, to take away our effectiveness, to do whatever he can to make us less effective than we need to be in our lives and in the world around us. You see, as we begin to look here, we pick up in verse 7 again, which we closed with last week. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because remember, we just got through saying that we died to that sin. We were under dominion to that sin. Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Many would feel that God's law is no longer appropriate for us. We find that so far we have established some things about the law. Let me remind you that by the law, no one is saved. Nobody has ever been saved by the law. Nobody ever will be saved by the law. The law was not given to save anybody. And the only person on this earth that's ever fulfilled it is Jesus Christ himself. But the law was not given. It's not a failed plan. It's not something that, that God put into place and it just wouldn't work. God's law was never meant to save anybody. By the law, no believer has ever been sanctified. We saw that in that first passage that we looked at in chapter 6, sin's dominion versus grace's freedom. The, when, we, when we looked at those things there, we find that it's not by the law of God that we are sanctified. If we try to be sanctified because we are living up to the law, then we will fall flat of our faces. We will never be sanctified. We will never be set apart. We will never be holy. That's not what the law is given to us for. Now keep that in mind. And by the law, no believer has ever been condemned or ever will be condemned. That's in this life or in eternity. That's where, boy, we get into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. The law's never done those things. But I want us to see in this passage today quickly that one thing that the law will do is convict of sin. Both believers and unbelievers alike. God's Spirit uses His Word and His law to convict us, to show us where sin is present in our life. 
It won't save us from that sin. It won't clean us from that sin. It won't set us apart from that sin. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, neither will it condemn us. But it allows us to see it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curses. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you're under the law, you got to do it all. If you break it anywhere, there's a curse. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, when you break God's law, it's not a matter of being a little smack on the wrist, wrong sin, and a big, huge sin over here. If you break it anywhere, you broke the whole. You broke the whole thing. So many times we want to judge around. We want to try to use God's law to say, well, you know, I live a lot more godly than that person over there, and I'm a whole lot more spiritual and stronger and all these things. And folks, if you've broke in the smallest, you broke it all, and you're just as guilty and just as sinful as anybody else on planet Earth. Why did God give his people a law that was impossible to keep? Why would God do that? Well, I believe he did it, first of all, to establish God's standard. This is God's standard. It's not what we are able to live to, but it's the standard that God is. It establishes God's standards and therefore shows mankind the depth of his sinfulness. It also will show us It'll show us the impossibility of being able to live it without his help. We will never meet it within our own strength. And I believe to show us our great need for forgiveness. The great need for God's grace. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God he loves us so much that his mercy is so wonderful that he gives us what none of us deserve. We could look back and we could see in Hebrews chapter 11 and we don't have time, but you can go there and you can read it and, and all those great Old Testament patriarchs and all that was accomplished through them that were living under the law by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith is what their lives were able to, to amount to anything. By faith were the things accomplished that were accomplished through them. By faith, just like you and I today, we find that as we begin to look at what he's saying here in verse 7, I think that it's actually an anticipation of questions that would be asked after what that he's just got through teaching us here about this relationship of the believer and of course recognizing on the one hand we're bound to sin weren't we we're bound to sin we're bound to sin by the law yes the truth is is that he wants us to be set free that to die so that we can be married to another just the Lord Jesus Christ, not to be at one with sin, but to be at one with Jesus Christ himself. So then the question comes, well, well, does that mean that the law is sin? Does that mean that there's something wrong with God's law? Does that mean that it's evil? Paul says, God forbid. That's not what we're talking about here. You see, first of all, I just want you to recognize by the law, by the law, sin is derived and discovered. That's what Paul is, is saying to us here. Nay, he said, on the contrary, I had not known sin, but by the law. It's only by God's law that I knew what I was doing was wrong. By God's standard. You see, Paul is speaking from one that knew the full depravity of sinfulness in his own life. Paul continues here speaking in the first person of himself. 
his own testimony, if you would, what God's done in his life. Even though that his calling was the sovereign act of God himself, Saul still had to confess his sins. He had to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ for that salvation. All of God's work. Acts 26, 14, for when we were all fallen to the earth, the Apostle Paul's testimony. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You see, Paul had to come to that point that God convicted him. And Paul said it was only by the law the law didn't save me, but the law showed me that I needed to be saved. The law was the one that showed me that what I was doing was wrong, that it was sin. Only by God's law could I know that. See, externally, believe it or not, we can do some pretty good things sometimes. Some of you, you know, can, can, can really impress people. And I'm talking about genuine goodness. Some people with great determination can even bring about a certain amount of reformation in their lives to get away from something that they were doing that was bad. But Paul had to come to realize, to discover his real internal problem. By the law, he said, he knew this. The Holy Spirit use God's law, God's word to convict him, to bring that conviction. But of course, only then could that transformation take place. The law has a part to play in the genuine transformation of anyone. It's by the law that that sin can be discovered. That we can be made aware of our sin, our need for forgiveness, our need for redemption, our need for a Savior. Martin Luther used the analogy of heat and lime. He said, no one knows that lime has heat till he pours water upon it. Then the heat has occasion to show itself. It's there all the time. But it's only when the water's added that you see it. The water did not create the heat in the lime, but it made it manifest. It's similar with the will of man and the law. Sin is indeed in man, but no one knows it until man learns to know the law. Then he burns all the more with the fires of sin, Through this is, though this is not the fault of the law, but it is by grace that the fire of sin is extinguished. See, First of all, the relationship between God's law and sin is that it's by the law that sin is discovered. But that sin is able to be seen, is known that it's even there. Secondly, he tells us in verse 8, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Without the law, sin is dead. By the law, sin is discovered. Without the law, sin is dead. It's laying dormant. See, we see again that it's not the fault of the law, but sin is already present. Taking occasion, he's talking about here. Taking advantage, taking opportunity through the law to produce or to arouse that that sin we're rebellious somebody tell you you can't do something you'll be more than determined to do it usually find that ff bruce said the villain of the peace is sin sin seized the opportunity afforded when the law showed me what was right and what was wrong he says here but sin taking occasion. It really was, this word is translated here occasion, 
It was the word that was originally used when somebody was getting ready to go on an expedition, and that was the base, where everything was setting out from. John Murray says in his Principles of Conduct that the more the light of God's law shines into our depraved hearts, the more the enmity of our mind is aroused to opposition, proving that the mind of the flesh is not subject to the law of God. John MacArthur says, makes observation that when a person is confronted by God's law, the forbidden thing becomes all the more attractive, not so much for its own sake, as for its furnishing a channel for the assertion of our will. Sometimes it's not even that important what it is. It's just that we want to show that we can do it. We can make our own choices, that we can do our own thing if we want to. Of course, some of you will have read John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. That book, he paints a vivid picture of this that we're talking about, of sin's arousal by the law. A large dust-covered room in an interpreter's house symbolizes the human heart. When a man with a broom representing God's law begins to sweep, the dust swirls up and all but suffocates Christian. Law does this to sin. It agitates it. It arouses it so that it becomes stifling. The broom cannot clean a room of dust, but it can only stir it up. Have you ever thought of that? All a broom can do is move it around. You've got to have something else to get it up. So it is with the law. It can't cleanse the heart of sin. It's never meant to do that. But it's meant to make sin more evident. You see, Paul said on the one hand, it's by the law that I discovered sin. Without the law, if it wasn't there, that sin would just lay dormant, dead, just like that dirt. Nothing to stir it up, nothing to agitate it. Without the law, sin was dead. Doesn't mean that sin didn't exist. Could say here that without the law, sin just wasn't active. Not visible. Oh, it was there. May have been a lot of things that it was doing, but it was invisible. It doesn't overwhelm the sinner until the law comes along and arouses it and allows it to be seen and allows it to be known. So by the law, sin is discovered. Without the law, sin is dead. But he tells us in these next verses 9 through 11 that by the law, sin is destructive. It's even deceptive. He goes on to tell us, he says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death, for sin taking occasion by the commandment, what's that next word? Deceived me, and by it slew me. You see, it's both deceptive and destructive. Paul had lived apart from the law. And while he was apart from the law, he actually thought that he was absolutely great, that he was blameless as a matter of fact. He said in Philippians chapter 3, 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the touch, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Man, I mean, he really thought he was living for God, that he was living a great life, that he was doing the good things. You see, he was being deceived. When a true understanding of of God's law, of the commandment. When it came, it was only then that he saw himself as he really was. Then, sin revived, he says here. Literally became alive. 
He then saw the destructiveness and the, and the evil of that sin. While he died in realizing that all of his religion was useless. It was rubbish. It was literally nothing. You see, when a true understanding of God's commandment comes, that's what it does for us. It's by that law. Philippians 3, 7 to 8 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, he said. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You see, he realized by the law, he realized that he was spiritually dead. He talks about there in verse 10, in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. You see, what he had considered to be the means of having eternal life had actually turned out to be just the opposite spiritual death. He thought this is the way that he was going to, to have eternal life, be great with God, while all the time that was exactly what was destroying him because he was deceived by it. He was deceived by God's law because he thought he was living up to God's law. He thought that he was blameless before God's law. Goes on to say in verse 11, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Sin took advantage of the law, deceiving, destroying. Deceit is one of sin's most subtle and disastrous and destructive evils that he has. We think one thing. He wants us to think that it's doing us good when all the time it's doing us harm. Sin. We're deceived into thinking that he's somehow a good person. That he's okay. That his works will somehow, what he's doing, will make him acceptable before God. Then he'll see no need for salvation. False religions in one way or another are always built on Self-trust and self-effort. What we're doing to get to God. Paul had come to realize that sin had used the law to deceive and destroy him until by the work of the Holy Spirit he realized that his spiritual situation was helpless and hopeless. You see, by the law, he had been deceived. By the law, he thought he was a good person. We find that it's by the law, by the law that sin is discovered. Without the law, sin is dead. By the law, sin is deceptive and destructive and trying to get us to believe that we could just live a good life. By the law, sin is disastrous. It's demanding. That's what he says in these last two verses, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Not only is the law not sin, but he says here that the law is holy and just and good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the law. See, when a person is justly convicted, we hear a lot of talk about justice and we want justice. When a person is taken before the courts and they are justly convicted and then they are sentenced for murder, 
because they've taken someone else's life. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the law. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with those that are upholding the law. The fault is in the one that broke the law. He said, there's nothing wrong with God's law. It's holy, it's just, it's right, and so is God that enforces it. The problem is to sin in us. Is that which was good? Law, was that a cause of my, my death? God forbid, he says. It's not the law against murder that deserves or merits the punishment. But the law itself, he said, is a good thing. It's the breaking of the law that is evil. How much more is God's law good than the laws that we make? course by the same token how much more serious is it to break God's law than to break man's law it's sin that's the cause of spiritual death not the law the true demands of sin and it's disastrous effect on us it is exposed under the light of God's pure, holy, righteous law. Paul says that by the law, sin might become exceeding sinful. In other words, when you place any sin in the light of God's law, it can only be more sinful. It can only show us how awful and vile that it really is. Galatians chapter 3, I give you these couple of passages in closing this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 to 22, Paul writing to the church of Galatia, he asks this question, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. You see, the real and ultimate purpose of the law always was, is today and still we because we looked in the very beginning what God said about his law is eternal all this other stuff will go away but not God's law not God's word you see we find that the law was meant to drive men to faith in Jesus Christ because he was the one the only one that fulfilled the demands of the law He's the only one that we can put our faith in. No religion, no church, no organization, nobody else. Because he's the only one that fulfilled the law. So therefore, if it's not fulfilled, we're still under the condemnation and the punishment of it. The law was meant to drive us to that faith in Christ that fulfilled the demands of that law. Find that for the unsaved, for the unbeliever, only God's Word can show their desperate condition and show them that the only answer is Jesus Christ. For the believer, I know you see many times that this is what we'll talk about this evening and it's very important. How do we deal with this battle, this struggle? How do we, on the one hand, 
How do we experience that, that joy, the peace, the freedom that's ours in God's grace? And not be bound down by the things that we do wrong and get wrong. And we'll, we'll look at that battle that rages within. And the truth is, is that for every believer, we might want to put God's law away. We might want to forget it. We might want to pretend, even though we're not being condemned under it. But you know, we need to see God's standards. God tells us to be holy as He is holy. We need to see our sin more clearly because though as Christians our sin is under the blood, though we have to die daily, though that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash away all of my sins, that sin will still put a barrier there. It'll break our, our fellowship. It'll destroy our effectiveness. Paul is going into great detail to say, you know, just because of God's grace, we just live any way we want to. It's hard sometimes. You know, one of the very controversial things between a lot of Christians is this, this thing of law and works versus grace. I want to tell you something today. And in our rational minds, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And people may, But let me tell you something today. I don't care what you quit doing. I don't care what little prayer that you might have prayed. I don't care what you started doing. I don't care how serious you are in your heart that you're going to live this quote-unquote Christian life. I don't care what else that it might have been. None of that saved you. You did not get saved because you quit doing something or started doing something else. If you're saved today, you're saved by the grace of God through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only way to be saved. You know what? weren't saved by your works. That's hard for us sometimes. You know, I've told you before. I'll give you this in closing this morning. There's so much I'd like to say. Man, it'd be glorious to have no watches, no time. We talked about time during the Bible study time this morning. Praise God. We got just a little bit of it down here, but one day we won't even have to worry about it anymore. I remind you of the conversation that took place between John Wesley and George Whitfield. Of course, John Wesley was Armenian in his beliefs and his thoughts and doctrines. And, and though God used him greatly and many, many came to know Christ under his ministry, you know, one of the real struggles that he had was going through life wondering if he was still going to be saved next week and next month and next year because in that more Armenian view, so much of it was based upon what he did. Even though he believed in salvation by grace through faith, that emphasis upon works. Whereas George Whitfield was of a Calvinist view and he was uh, so much so that, you know, that he believed, you know, that salvation was totally by, by grace and nothing of works and none of these things. And, and of course they had, as you can imagine, some very heated theological debates over those issues. But they still loved each other and they still respected each other. Though they disagreed vehemently over it. We can't question that God used them both. So thank God we don't have to be perfect for God to use us theologically or in the flesh. But you know what George said to John Wesley one day? He said, John, he said, we've been friends a long time. Something to this effect. He said, we've talked about a lot of things and we've gone a lot of paths and we've done a lot of things. And he said, you know, he said, there's one thing really about this division over this theological thing. He said, you know, he said, both of us believe with all of our hearts that the only way that we're saved is because of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died upon Calvary, because of his shed blood, that that's what's required in all this. He said, John, I believe one day we'll spend all of eternity together in heaven because I believe we're both saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the faith we've put in that. But he said, you know the difference? He said, I'm going to be a whole lot happier between now and heaven because he said, you got to get up every day wondering if you're still going to make it another day and be able to hang on and still be saved before the Lord gets back. Well, he says, I'm going to rest in the Lord. And I know I'll fail and I'll all make mistakes. But he says, what I did didn't save me. What I do won't unsave me. It's my faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. There's a lot of, we got a couple of terms for it where I come from. One is baloney. One is hogwash. I mean, 
there's a lot of junk going around that literally, you know, that just, you know, will just absolutely blow people's minds. And there are those that believe that, you know, in order to be saved by grace, that you've got to do away with all of God's law, that none of it matters. Folks, that's just not what the Bible is teaching us here. There are also those that, that believe that somehow that when you say this little prayer and you do this little thing and they become a Christian, as man says, and you can just go out and you can do anything you want to. You can live as ungodly. You can sin, 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 and just go to heaven one day because you got your fire insurance all taken care of. I want to tell you something. When you're truly born again and say, if, as a child of God, if you're truly born again and saved, you will not be able. Now, it doesn't mean you can't sin. You might even rebel. You might reject because it's pointed out. You might just like the apostle Paul. Man, man. It's tough sometimes when God shows us that that just ought not to be there. That's against God. That's against what he wants of me. And it's not comfortable. And sometimes we just rather get that part out of our lives and not have to deal with it. The truth is, you must deal with it. The truth is this. If you're truly a child of God, you won't go out there and live that kind of a life. Number one, you're not going to... You, you can sin. You can do anything a lost person can do. But you won't continue in that sin. Not according to God's word. You can't continue in that sin. Matter of fact, the Bible uses pretty strong terms. In our Bibles, it's, it's, it's translated thus that, that, you know, if you can sin and, and, and God doesn't chastise you for that, the Bible says you're a bastard. You're fatherless. In other words, you don't really belong to him anyway. You know, you can't. Can't have that lifestyle. Number one, there's something bad wrong. You missed something. If you truly put your faith in Christ, and then you still can just go out there and live that sinful life and enjoy it and want to keep living it. Something's missing. You didn't get the same thing I got. Now I sure messed up along the way and I sure make some sins. And boy, sometimes, you know, if I thought the Catholics' way of beating myself with a whip or something would do any good, I'd do it. Honestly. But folks, you can't enjoy it. You can't keep on with it. If you're truly saved, you're going to come to the point he's going to bring you to your knees. Or God can't just take you on out of here. <laughs> he's not going to allow his children to disgrace him either. So all I'm saying to you is, look, there's a lot of stuff, and, and, and it all links together, and it all comes together, but we need to understand the relationship between God's law and sin. Never meant to save you. It's only by God's law that you can recognize that sin, that you can see that sin, that it won't just hide and be invisible in your life and not be seen. Only by that law can that sin be made to where that you can recognize it and see it and do something about it. You've got to see it before you can clean it. The devil will use it to destroy you, to deceive you. He'd love for you just to sit back and not worry. You know, come back tonight. Let's look at this battle within, between. And, you know, if you're a child of God, the problem is there's a new you. It's not the old you. There's a new you. But that new you is still living in the old flesh. There is a real battle. And we want to look at that and see if we got with it. But if you're here this morning, and if you don't know with absolute certainty, I look at you. You all look good to me. I hope that you know with absolute certainty that you're saved and on your way to heaven. If not, remember what we said, you know, grace cannot go where pride is. If you're here this morning, you've got to swallow your pride. If you're a person that's never truly been born again, swallow your pride. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Worry about swallow your pride. Get on your face before God and seek the forgiveness that he so much wants to give you today. If you don't know that, and may I say this with all due respect and love, you're a fool to walk out that door in that condition. It's probably the most foolish thing you'll ever do in your life to entrust another minute, another hour, another day, not knowing Jesus Christ. Christian, may I say, the old devil wants to deceive you. Maybe here today, maybe there's things in your life, but maybe God's Word hasn't happened enough. Maybe those things are just kind of laying dormant, trying to hide away, and 
you're trying to pretend that they're not there. Oh, God, God, God just wants to wrap his arms around you. He wants you to be so close to him that you know his strength and his power and his love that you let that sin, let it separate you. God wants to take care of that today. But you know, we already seen grace will not restore an unrepentant sin. As long as you want to hang on to the sin, you can't reach around the sin and get on to him at the same time. Do something about it today. Do something about it. Don't just procrastinate. Don't just push on. As we sing our closing hymn this morning, somebody get shut. so in love with you that you're more excited than you've ever been in your life. Let God's word, let God's law not be a binding thing to you, but let God's grace set you free. You've been free. 